Welcome to The Geek in Review, the podcast focused on innovative and creative ideas in the legal industry. I'm Marlene Gaybauer. And I'm Greg Lambert. And we're going to do something a little bit differently this year. Well, well, first of all, Happy New Year. This is our first show of the year. So Happy it's good, New year. good to be back. Um, so this week, we're going to try and do a little quasi-live recording with a couple of guests who we've had on uh, this show before or, or other shows before. Yeah, we're going to talk about the chat GPT and GPT 3.5 AI tools with some experts in AI, Tony Tai and Ashley Carlisle from Hyperdraft AI. Tony and Ashley, glad you could join us on the Geek and Review. Thanks for having us. Excited. Glad to be here. It's going to so, be a good conversation. Yeah, it is. It's going to be <laughs> really Lively. exciting if, if if the pre-talk is is any indication. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley's already put some uh, some restraints on Tony, as uh, so. Um, well, uh, Tony, you've been on the, uh, the the Geek and Review before, and Ashley, uh, I still want to thank you for stepping in, being my co-host for a few of the uh, last episodes of the Superhuman Legal Division podcast. So we're excited to have you both on here to talk about AI and, and the GPT tool as it applies to the legal industry. And we'll even, may even try and uh, try a few things on the platform while we're talking and do some real world, world testing if we get a chance. So Tony, let's start with you and get your initial thoughts on what tools like ChatGPT mean for the industry as of now. Yeah, I think... I. I think the intent behind ChatGPT being a, a chat bot, the 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 interface, right, using chat as an interface uh, between you know a knowledge database and and a user trying to extract data from it is super key. It's something that the industry's worked on for past decade, um, at least. Um, so folks in the industry are very excited about it. ChatGPT as as applied to the legal industry, I think that the limits. Um, folks are still trying to figure out right now. Um, in my personal view, which is not the 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 most popular view um, on the mainstream, is that like ChatGPT is a little bit of a false flag for folks because it it's so convincing in its output that I think folks will want to try to rely on it. But the reality of it is it is non-domain specific, so it is not trained on just legal information. It's trained on uh, a bulk of um, a bunch of inter- information off the internet, and so um, it it can lead to some misleading results um, and confidence in the system. But I still think we're we're years out, maybe 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 five five plus yeah, years out from because we don't know what we don't know what it's pulling from. No well, idea. We, we kind of do, right? We kind of do, and and so like when I when I describe it to people, it's like. You know, if you're comfortable with getting your your legal advice from Quora or just from your first, you know, five results from a Google, then, that's true. It's the first um, page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. It's sort of, that, sort of uh, like that. It's sort of like that. We don't know exactly. To Merlin's point, we don't know exactly where it comes from, but we kind of have a decent enough idea, and uh, we know it scrapes social media as well. So, like, you know, someone's ramblings from Facebook might be included in in that data somewhere as well. So, I don't know how much, uh, you know. I would want to rely, actually, I do know how much I, I would not rely on it at all. Um, but it poses some interesting questions to the industry as a whole and, 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 and uh, you know, just overall industry. Well, one good explanation of, of why I think Jet, Chet GPT is getting so much buzz is that for better or for worse, I guess, uh, depending on if you're Tony or I guess if you're me, 
um, is this is really the first AI that I think has taken the world by storm. Um, it, and it doesn't matter if you're you know, a fifth grader trying to explain a neutron star or if you're a lawyer and you want to see if it can pass the bar exam. Um, this is a tipping point in our culture that I, I think that makes everyone understand that AI is really here this time. We're not going to go through, I think, another AI winter. It's, it's going to be part of our society going forward. And, 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 you know, like it or not, I think it does have some viability in a lot of the aspects of, of our lives. And so, uh, uh, Ashley or Tony, any, you know, do you agree or disagree that, that we're at that yeah, tipping I, I point? Agree. I agree. It, it reminds me of, um, when Amazon, what is it called? Am, not Echo, Amazon, uh, Alexa. Uh, Alexa. Alexa, Alexa. Out, right. And a bunch of us geeks were already talking about it. I think some of us were kind of gatekeeping. That's fine, whatever. But a lot of us were like, dude, we've had this, right? We've had this for years. But the the general acceptance of it came after folks were like, yeah, we've had these tools before, but the interface was wrong, right? We tried to get people to use these advanced consoles to control stuff around their house. Turns out people are lazy and would much rather just talk to it. Um, but similar to Alexa, like I would say that there was a lot of fanfare for the first year. There's like people playing games with it. There's like apps being made for Alexa. It's since kind of died off. Um, and then the privacy concerns popped up were like, wait, is, is she always listening to us or is it always listening to us? And so then, you know, reality kind of set in after, after a while. I think this is kind of the same trend. Just yeah. to piggyback on that, you know, this is a great tool. And like Tony said, I think a lot of the adoption, especially the quick adoption is how simple the interface is. But other companies have tried stuff like this. I think other companies have taken different approaches that they wanted to understand kind of the repercussions of the software and put some limitations on it before unleashing it into the wild. And this company chose the opposite approach. It's just like, oh, well, let's just put it out there and see what happens. So I think like Tony said, like for now, it's fun. But as soon as people start really diving in and thinking of the repercussions and the pros and cons and potential biases within the data or where it's coming from, we're going to have a whole other set of conversations, which I think is bittersweet for us because we're very pro-innovation. And, you know, anything we say here, please don't get that wrong. Like we're very pro moving everything forward, but it's only going to be a trajectory forward if we also think about it thoughtfully and make sure people don't get tired of it or don't get burned by it. So that's something yeah. interesting to see. I mean, did you th do you think that they had any idea that this would sort of blow up the way it did? Because, I mean, I know when, you know, when it when it was first announced, and I mean, I think all of us kind of went on and, you know, started playing with it. But, you know, there were a lot of delays. There were a lot of lags. And, Still are. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, did they did they really kind of think this through um, in terms of, of how they released it? I think the strategy was is kind of where they're leading to right now, which is I, recently I heard that they're in the middle of a fundraiser, or at least kicked one off. Yep. Uh, so as part of their marketing strategy, definitely the board or, you know, and definitely the executives thought through this and said, this is a good marketing tool for us going into a fundraise, um, getting our valuation nice and frothy so that we can go and raise a lot of money very quickly. I do not think that they thought this would kind of blow up as quickly as it as it did. I think it was planned. I just don't think it was expected that they were going to, you know, have this level of 
fanfare so quickly. It's also, I, I'm really curious because it's probably costing them a ton of money, right? Like I, that's the part that like really confuses me. I'm like, there's R and D and then there's, a, there's a beta and alpha user data. But, uh, this, this, this is an expensive experiment. Uh, well, they've already, have you guys thought about like what, what the point is? I, cause I, I'm starting to, I feel like there's diminishing returns from them on, on this side. Well, it, I guess it would depend because I think they've already gotten a, a billion dollars from Microsoft and Microsoft announced, I think yesterday or the day before that they're going to put 10 more billion dollars, uh, into it. And, um, they're going to, uh, embed it into Microsoft Word and Bing, um, I'm not sure about Bing, but, uh, you know, I, I could see some value of, of something, a tool like this in Word as, as you were writing to have prompts that could, that could help you write. And, and really, I, the one way I've heard this talk about is this, this is kind of like maybe the, and maybe this is not the company that does it because there's going to be tons of companies that are going to enter this space. Copycats, um, yeah. And, and so... I mean, it could be the same kind of tipping point with the investment in these types of tools that were made, you know, the same kind of investments that were made in the solar power industry or, or electric cars. That, you know, finally AI has something that is make, making everyone realize that it's viable. And yeah, there's, it, 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 there's probably going to be a lot of money wasted. But I think, you know, at the same point, I think with the money coming in, I think you're going to see uh, an improvement in in the structure of tools like these, and and I have a feeling again, there's going to be tons of tools like these. Yeah, it's similar to solar and and electric vehicles. It does feel like um, these guys have a, a a pretty large lead and gap over the com competition. Uh, because honestly, like if we're talking about it in terms of energy, like data is the oil and the fuel for this. And so it just seems like they have such a huge lead on it. I, they are open sourcing a lot, of, or not open sourcing, but uh, opening up a lot of their APIs so that other folks can build off of their, um, you know, existing models. But yeah, it'll be interesting. Bing, Bing is kind of, you know, we're talking about marketing approaches. <laughs> but we all know successful products launch off of Bing. Um, you know, if, you, if you're a successful company, then you better be on Bing. Yeah, I don't know a soul that uses Bing willingly, um, so it's it's kind of interesting. So I want to talk about OpenAI for a second. So this started off as an open source nonprofit, but it's not open source or nonprofit any longer. <laughs> the back end of ChatGPT and its more powerful relative GPT three point five, they're now black boxes. So you know there it could be you know garbage in, garbage out. It could be, you know, bias issues. You know, what what does it mean for both the open AI and, and, and now millions of users? You know, what are they getting themselves into? And do they, are they aware of that? Yeah, no, it's, it, it's kind of what I was get, getting at before, which is that um, these large language models, right? So ChatGBT is based off of an LLM. Um, it, or built off of an LLM, uh, they, they're so massive that the data being audited going in and then the outputs coming out, like they're just these massive machines that folks can't really wrangle 
there are entire new startups built around um, machine learning transparency, trying to give humans a way to view uh, the the models and, and get a bit of a better understanding of it. But Marlene, to, to the point that we were talking about before, like we don't know exactly what goes in. And like one of the issues we, we've seen kind of pop up in a parallel space um, is this, uh, you know, generative AI for, for art artwork. Uh-huh. Um, you're seeing it pop up a lot, but there is a lot of outcry from artists. Like my friends who are digital artists are not having the, the best uh, reaction to it because they're like, wait, they trained on our data. We get paid. On stuff we money. created and then they stuff. make money off of that. Yeah. And so, so as soon as you, so as soon as Greg mentioned like the integration with Microsoft Word and, and Office products, I'm thinking to myself, you know, even as a, maybe as a law firm, hold up. So I'm paying all of my salary employees to feed data into your system so you can build a product that competes with me. That doesn't sound like a good yield or output, which is good for like companies like ours who are, are trying to be more agnostic around it and, and letting our clients build the tools for themselves so that they, they're not um, held down by one, you know, huge monopoly. But it, it's, it, it's an interesting question because it's like, you know, how much of it are they going to cannibalize of their own um, of their own uh, user base? So with ChatGPT and the way that OpenAI AI is structured, one, like you mentioned, it's no longer open and so is a for-profit venture, which means that they're going to be a lot more secretive around what, what goes into the model, what the process is like to manage and data wrangle. Um, and then that whole content moderation and output moderation, like it's largely a black box. We don't know what they're doing. We do know people are involved and we do know that they've done quite a bit in terms of training and tuning it before they released it in order to avoid, you know, uh, you know rated R material basically that goes at, that, that would get output from, from the model. But no, it's, it's a black box to most of us. We, we have a general idea of, of what goes in and what comes out, but like, we don't have any control over it. So as yeah. what we were talking about before we started recording, um, you know, there are inherent dangers on, on relying on that type of data because it's like, all right, do I, do I truly trust it to make decisions for me or just provide research data? So then in the, it then becomes a question for the industry of like, how are we going to leverage this tool, right? Are we going to use it as a spade or are we going to try to make it into a hammer or a drill or, you know, use it for some other function? Um, and, and, and Greg, like you mentioned again before the call, like there are, uh, parallels for this tool that make it so that it is a useful tool, but you have to understand that it's not self, self guiding, right? Like you need a user behind it and that user needs to exercise judgment. Tony, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think something that is leading to the increased like word of mouth about chat GPT and kind of more confusion is that it's trained to seem very credible. It's trained to seem very confident. Yep. And so people will, I see this on social media all the time. Like someone will make a post being like, I feel this way and this way. Here are the pro and cons about chat GPT. Like, you know, what do you think? And people are like, well, I did this one thing and it sounds right. So like, it's right. And I think that's what's confusing is I want people to have that fervor and excitement about use cases and technology. But that's something I think if you don't have a, you know, the background that maybe Tony does as a 
as an engineer, you might not think about, well, that's part of like kind of the DNA of this. It's going to seem credible, which is why we have to have these conversations about reality, where the data is coming from and disclosures as to that and really have these conversations or else it's really easy to be tricked. And then it's like a slippery slope of dependency on it without even really thinking about it. So I think that's adding to kind of the confusion and also the word of mouth explosion here. Yeah, I was going to say, because up until now, you didn't have that credibility. Like, you know, you would you would see stuff on social media and it's like, okay, it's trying to write a story. And it was like all disjointed and terrible and everybody just laughed. The user interface. <laughs> and, and it's like, oh, that crazy AI, you know, and, and but now you look at it, it's like, wow, that makes sense. And that that seems right. And and even if it's not right, I can basically say, okay, take that point and expound upon it. And you're like, that makes sense. And so then everybody's getting very excited about it to figure out where they can they can use it. And I mean, and law firms are are doing that too. They're like, how do we how do we play with this? And and to Tony's point before, I'm like, are they cannibalizing themselves and the doc and the stuff that they put out there in order to do this? Yeah, and just to, to tie on to that, well, and, and, and I guess this can lead into my next question as well, and that is, um, uh, you know, just as we, were, as we were talking, I was also thinking about, you know, the data that it's, that it's compiling, the data that it's using, and, and the uh, language models that it's building upon, it, it, scraping stuff off the, the internet. Um, it, you know, one of the things, if you think back about IBM Watson, which that may be another example of, of hype, 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 you know, excitement. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, nobody hears about Watson anymore. No, no, no one seems to, to know what it's up to these days. Except um, for the Weather Channel. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that they just think of the project, right? Yeah, I would, I, I'd imagine. I, the last I heard, and this was pre, probably pre-pandemic, was that it was going to focus in on reading medical journals and, and working with the medical industry. And I don't know that yeah, that ever think, panned out. I think IBM wrapped it. Um, yeah. Well, there for you the go. Same for, for, this is, uh, that's a great analogy. I, I, it's so far removed that I didn't even think about it. And, but you, the funny thing is, is it's, it's so, it's such in the similar parallel, right? Like to answer Jeopardy questions really, really well <laughs> and in a convincing <laughs> manner. Um, yeah. I totally forgot. That's a really good reminder. I'm going to bring that up for people. That, that's, that's a good one. <laughs> Um, well, well, Tony, you had mentioned and, and talked about, you know, who watches the Watchmen. With that and, and Watson and, and the self-contained information, I've heard people joke that, uh, you know, the, the thing that's going to bring something like this down is uh, when it starts producing images of Mickey Mouse or using Disney uh, characters uh, or, or scripts in it that... You know, once Disney gets involved, then then they're going to kind of get a peek behind the the black box. But uh, you know, up until then, you know, kind of who's who's kind of watching what this group is doing and what information that that they may have in there. Uh, yeah, that that is the joke usually when Disney or Nintendo get involved from a copyright perspective. Like you're screwed. There's no. Hey, it's a uh, Mario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, it's over. Um, I don't know. I, I think, you know, not not the reason why I'm pessimistic, but when I when I analyze um, a new technology or any technology for that matter, you know, I can't help but, you know, we I, I come come from a a hacker background, and by the way, the word hacker meant something different when I was growing up. It meant more people who would like like to tweak with 
systems and mess around with them. But, um, you know, you're always looking for exploits. And this system, you know, from a lot of us would appear to be such an easily influenceable system once we figured out where their data pipeline was. And even if we learned that, hey, you know, they're getting manipulated by user input directly, you know, a a lot of us can already think of, uh, uh, you know, a few different ways to influence output. So that that becomes a major concern from a from a who watches the watchman perspective like yeah no the the question is what is that data pipeline going in where the where are the data sources and who's moderating you know who's monitoring and moderating the 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 fuel that's going into these models we don't know just from the sheer amount of data that's going into it it would require huge teams of data scientists and you know uh, data analysts to um, wrangle this data to make sure that it's building something that's coherent. So that output that you're seeing, that's super clean, that's, you know, convincing, that's really, really impressive. And I think that's where, you know, I'm most impressed by this system is how convincing it sounds, not the quality of the data that's coming out of it, but just how convincing it sounds. That's really interesting for, for me, but, um, I am sure after a, a year or two on the market, um, that, you know, certain regulatory bodies will come into play um, and and that the, the government will start to get more involved f- from a policy um, standpoint because it would not be in the best interest of the public to just have this, you know, model out there influencing and you're seeing students use it to write their essays, right? Um, even from an education standpoint, it's, it's, it, it's, it has to be limited and um, it has to be controlled and regulated. So... There's already talk uh, on Twitter and and uh, on other social media platforms by politicians on how we're going to regulate this. Um, so it's so I you know I don't have visibility on it you know, exactly, and I, I don't know exactly what's going to happen because I still think the technology is incredibly nascent. Um, so I don't think it can be deployed anywhere for production except for potentially correcting grammar um, and or giving you uh, you know essay ideas for, for, for school, school children. Well, have, I'm just curious, have, uh, either of you put it to some serious test and, and found something that you found was useful in, in the results? Oh, I thought you were going to say not useful. Actually, I had a friend, if this sounds really bad, but I'll mention it anyway. Some of my friend, it was like, he put a, he tried to get it to write a eulogy for him. And I'm like, dude, that's not, uh, that's, it's like I got some good inspiration from it. I, that, that's that's good. It's a tough topic, um, but uh, I, I've I've played around with it and gotten it to to write some and, and do some interesting research for me when it comes to uh, you know some of the stuff I'm working on, but not not stuff that would have beaten me Google searching and getting the input from other people. Um, uh, the the limitation that I I find that I find really funny is if you ask it a math question, sometimes it gives you the wrong answer, which mm-hmm. always fascinates me. Um, but it should give folks kind of the underlying um, uh, understanding of like what's going on underneath, which is it's it's trying to find consensus for an answer as opposed to doing calculations. And so that's that's that key thing I always suggest people do is ask it a like, like a not relatively complicated math question, but ask it a math question that, you know, you would expect a senior in high school to understand. Um, and it'll 
get almost there. It, it, it won't, it won't solve it every time. So it's, it's quite interesting. Ashley, have you, have you had to do any of our marketing yet? No, I haven't because I tried to get it to answer just a very simple legal question because I was, I was just like, oh, how does this work? And I think the thing I realized, which was just a duh moment for me, was I hope that this leads people to be more creative lawyers. You know, like sometimes you see briefs that are just like so witty and so well written that you're like, oh, I wish every brief was like this. And I think what I saw was I asked for a very basic legal issue. I got a very bland five paragraph, like, you know, first year of law school, like probably CB answer. And so I'm hoping that because that is readily available, people will go for the A plus work or, or maybe some of like the low hanging administrative stuff can be done through technology like ours or chat GPT or whatever. And people can really kind of be like, you know, ninja lawyers, lawyers of pin with contracts and briefs and what have you. I'm going to build on Ashley's point a little bit. That's that is one of the reasons why I'm so concerned by the level of hysteria or mania around it is there is an inherent value in learning how to do it the slow way before you do it the short way. And what I worry about is everybody is trying to take these shortcuts and say, you know what, instead of doing research, I'm just going to ask this thing this. And I'm already seeing it with, you know, people that, um, th that I've worked with who, who, uh, you know, don't take the extra step or the extra mile to do their own research, to understand the underlying case law or, uh, you know, regulation before they come back and just say, this is the case. Yeah, this, this will never replace humans. And I, I especially think it is, it will never replace, uh, or it'll have a place in, but it will never place a lawyer or a legal professional in the practice of law. The practice of law is a very human practice. I've said this before many times, like it cannot replace lawyers because it, uh, uh, unless somehow we've given up uh, our own um, destiny or, 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 you know, sense of control. We, we just, we won't, we won't succumb to the robot overlords and, and let them dictate, you know, how rules and laws are interpreted. Yeah. And I, I find your point fascinating because for so many years, there's been such resistance to some technological innovations. Point being that you know, we have to teach sort of the up and coming, like they have to be able to do this themselves and learn this stuff and, and sort of learn it the slow way before they can do it the quick way. And yet that all seems to be like, you know, out the window just for this this one thing. And, you know, already sort of discussion about like, you know, how can we start it, you know, do first drafts and how can we start research this way? And I just find it amazing that and I don't quite fully understand why this particular thing just just forced, you know, everybody just decided, okay, well, that's fine. Yeah. There's so much resistance. And, well, I think I, Ashley I nailed you, but... that in, in that it's very confident in what it gives you. And so right. I think also, there's... Also, yeah, exactly. Greg, sorry to interrupt. But I think lawyers like control and lawyers do not like feeling dumb. And for the longest time, myself included, when you mentioned math or technology to me, I immediately just tense up. I'm like, I, I don't want any part of this conversation, right? I think they did a really good job of spending a lot of time making it sound convincing, making it super easy to look at, super easy to use, and how the interface is, it makes the person feel in control. Like as you're putting in the prompt, you can immediately give it. That's a good point. And lawyers love control, which is a part of our profession. It's something that's innate to us. It's why we're successful. I get it. 
But I think it's something that's not talked about enough is we're impatient and we're control freaks. And we need to be cognizant of that as that we're assessing technology because people might make these dumb, short-sighted decisions and then regret them later because they just want, oh, this is a solution. We're going to do this now. And they're not thinking of the bigger picture or maybe what they're bringing that's obstacles to the table. So, so I it's, get why it took off. I just hope people... It's the feeling of control, even though they really don't have control. They don't have control. There's no citation of where it's coming from. Just guesses. Yeah, that's, by the way, almost impossible. And the funny thing, I'll call it out here because I'd like it dom- documented. Uh, uh, Sean, our general counsel, always says, it doesn't count unless you say it. So I'm going to go ahead and say it now. That That's that's pretty much impossible. Their entire company is dedicated to that citation side that it won't work. And what the reality around this is, I'll bring up a great example. Google has built and worked on these projects for years. And you, if you want to talk about who's got the most data, Google has the most data. They have basically unlimited data, right? And if they're not deploying it, there's there's probably a good reason why they're not deploying it. And at the end of the day, like the way that the architecture works is it would have to basically run a Google search at the end at, at the end of all of it than just Google, right? Like it should just it should just be Google. Or, or a, another search engine like Bing, who's, you know, I've heard the the, the biggest up-and-comer out there. You know? <laughs> all the cool kids it, are using on TikTok, yeah. right? Yeah. Exactly. Bing. <laughs> Bing, now with yeah. Yahoo. So. Oh, yeah, 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 I remember. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't get rid of my Yahoo email now. Maybe it'll... AOL. <laughs> That's right, AOL. I, you know what? I was I moved recently. And I found I had I had one of those old AOL discs oh. for like their free twenty hours. I know I left it somewhere, but it, I wanted to frame it up because I remember I, I remember the good old days. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of lawyers using it and and kind of giving it some some testing, um, if listeners haven't listened to Bob Ambrogi's interview with Dan Katz and and Michael uh, Bomarito. Uh, about how they put the GPT 3.5 tool, which is different than the the GPT chat tool, um, they put that to the task of of answering bar exam questions. Um, it's a it's a good listen. I, I think people should to go listen to what those two did uh, with the tool. And um, it, and they were saying that you know the tool has come a long way over the past few years, and um, and and they're testing. Again, this might be that confidence level, but they were saying that it was not too far away from getting a passing score in some of the uh, of the bar in some states. Um, and then uh, Bomarito made a, I, I thought was a really interesting quote um, in talking about where we are in the overall process. And, and he's saying, you know, change is constant, but the rate of change is not constant now. And it's not going to change so we just need to find a way to live with it and make the world a better place. And and I guess, you know, and I, I've even heard people saying, um, I texted Marlene this uh, uh, before uh, earlier today, was I heard someone say that 2023 was was the year that we will finally reach the singularity. Um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> but I, I think going back to Bomarito's quote, uh, you know, about making the world a better place, do you think, that we have it in us to take tools like this, let's say that they do bring value to it. Are we going to make the world a better place or are we just going to screw this up? Why do people always think we have the control over that? Like, 
why why is that why does that always come up it's like we don't have control over that people but, use it for good and bad well also yeah. they gave us no restrictions right it's like they decided exactly. to unleash this virus with let's just see what happens see how long it lives here here's the interesting thing i, f- I forgot who measured it but we have at our fingertips way more opportunity than any other generation before except our rate of innovation has slowed down drastically like just drastically and so like when you look at it everyone has in their pockets a supercomputer by by 20 years like 30 years ago standards has a supercomputer cat you know we use it for things like tiktok and instagram and like looking up photos and watching videos like that's the max that we're going to do there no i don't think we'll change the world for really materially the better from it i think you know it, like with any tool there is great benefit to it but there's always a cost and to me the cost is education and longer attention spans right uh-huh. to, to be able to write an essay requires you sit down read a book uh, understand it comprehend it think about it build a mental model right taking the bar is not getting the answer right taking the bar is because the, the test behind taking the bar is not just getting the answer it's understanding the patterns and models around the law so that you can answer something when you don't know how when you don't have the exact answer and so you know i find it fascinating when people run tests like that because that's great yes if i had a database of all the answers in the world regarding this then yes i could probably answer a good chunk of it right but when human judgment comes into it and i need to convince a jury or convince a judge or convince uh, the the other party of a certain position AI is not going to do that, right? It's just not. And once it does, it's that singularity point. But we're decades from that. Decades. I think the closest thing that people are missing is actually Neuralink. Neuralink is probably the closest thing we're going to get to that singularity point. Why? Because that would employ a real-life working brain to run compute. And our brains, whether people like it or not, are the best supercomputers in the world right now, in the universe, right? These things... We cannot replicate. I was discussing with somebody on Twitter. Somebody was like, why can't we just use ChatBT to replicate a brain? And I'm like, that's insane, guys. Like, <laughs> there's just not enough compute. Even if there was an, if we utilized all the compute in the world to work the way our brain worked, it would be incredibly slow. It would be incredibly slow. Even now, that's how powerful our brains are. And so I think the, the takeaway from this is I'm hoping it'll inspire people to go out and try to build stuff to better uh, other industries and realize the mistakes that we're trying to make, which is to jump from A to C instead of, you know, progressing uh, incrementally. Um, so, all right, I'm off my soapbox. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, that's that. Greg, one th- that was great. Yeah, that was. Um, one thing I'll say, I thought it was really interesting that they used, I can't remember, I think it was the commercial version of ChatGPT to um, answer the multiple choice bar exam yeah. questions, right? So one, I'd love to see how it did on the essay portion. I mean, it might have similar results. I don't know. I know it's a lot easier to run all the multiple choice first. But two, I think this is a discussion that's been happening in our industry for a long time. So I kind of wonder if those very smart guys who I'm, I'm big fans of both of them, kind of did this on purpose to hit another issue, which is, is the bar exam outdated? Do we need to change what's going on, especially with technology evolving? Because I think, you know, all of us here are lawyers. We all studied for the bar. We could tell people who have not had that experience. A lot of it is just recall. 
you know, half the test is recall, you memorize it, you put it on whatever, and the other half takes a little bit more skill, a little bit more analysis, what have you. Um, but the part that they tested it on was the pure memorization and recall part of it. There's a little bit of strategy, but not that much. So I'm kind of wondering if that's going to lead us to have another conversation in that direction. And it just happens to include chat GPT as kind of like what gets it in the news. But maybe the bar exam will be for the better from them running those tests. And then also talking about kind of the greater good. So sorry to jump here. One of the main reasons why I decided to move from big law and a job that I really liked and you know, clients that I really like to joining Tony and what he was building is I realized that people were going to try to solve these problems. People were going to see money when it came to lawyers and technology and the fact that we're 20 years behind. And I didn't want people to just disrespect our industry and not do it the right way. So when I saw people that were really caring about kind of our profession, I wanted to jump in. And so that's something that I'm kind of scared about because I think Chad GPT hasn't gotten to that yet. I think you know, there, I don't know the amount of lawyers involved, but I really haven't seen it hit the tipping point where I'm just distressed. But I see other people try to apply that technology in somewhat interesting ways, including like the $1 million SCOTUS wager. And I'm just sitting there like, don't disrespect or make a mockery of people's blood, sweat and tears for a marketing ploy because it worked for Elon Musk. And now you want to you want to come into the legal industry and make a ton of money. Like you got to realize mm -hmm. the amount of hardworking people here that you're kind of just spitting on. And so that's a big reason why we do what we do every day is like, you know, some days it's not fun, but we really do care about lawyers. And we think that even if they don't understand technology on day one, we want to make sure they're a part of the process and we want to make sure that we're the bridge. So I'm curious to see if more people continue to annoy me by trying to jump in and just <laughs> make a mockery of some things and not understand like there's a lot of smart people in the legal realm. We don't need you to explain things to us. We just need you to like bring us, you know, whatever tech solution. We'll tell you yes or no. That's it. Well, what about on the other end? We were talking about the the, the challenge, and I'll, I'll let people Google that. Um, but on the other end, I think one of one of the big issues, and and Tony was was joking before we started that you know that some some of this may be a solution in search of a problem. Um, but one problem that this industry has, and it's a significant problem, is that we don't have enough lawyers, legal professionals, to serve the entire community that, that we are supposed to serve. And so there's so many people that go unrepresented. There's so many people that need to seek relief from the courts that don't have the ability or the knowledge um, or, or the pathway uh, to get that relief that, that they need, can a tool like this, or well, let me put it to you two ways. Can a tool like this help plug some of that gap? Or can a tool like this actually exacerbate the problem? Uh, I don't have enough uh, experience in like public interest or even the, like, like what my, my practice was very much like M&A, like low niche work, um, not very kind of run in the mill, um, type work, um, that, that most folks would want to consume. So I, 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 I preface my, my, my thoughts with that, but if it's anything like what some of these document preparation companies do for filing for like incorporation, I'm not going to name the company because I know them 
I like the guys, but they create more work for us when it gets to the lawyers than, uh, than help. Cause I'm always fixing the documents. Um, because people always want to do stuff that's a little bit different and more times than not, it'll help plug a plug a hole, but it doesn't solve the problem. I think for people in, in need of actual legal help, I worry that this tool would actually make things worse for folks and put them in a bad position because I think that they, they, they can, they can do it without, um, someone guiding them through the legal process. Cause it's not just the letter of the law. There's, there's the human component around it. Um, you know, who, who do you have to get to? Who do you have to call in order to get, you know, something filed or, um, something through, um, when's the deadline? Oh, the deadline says seven days, but in reality it should be, you should send it by six days. Cause there's a courier, you know, all that stuff. Things are waiting at the mailbox. Those are aspects that a quick Google might solve or a system might solve. But then again, like here's my problem with this kind of outside in approach. There is alternative solutions, right? Which is why don't we focus on the infrastructure before we look from the outside? So what does that mean? That means improving websites for courts. That means improving uh, state websites, websites that cover regulation or laws that affect people and that they're trying to find information for. Why don't we work on that as opposed to trying to go backwards and make something disorganized organized? I would say that that's probably the cheaper, more efficient solution. And we're starting to see it. Like I would say the California Secretary of State website has had major improvements over the last two, three years. It's very impressive what's, what's happened as compared to other websites from other states. So stuff like that I see as a, a more uh, tangible and quicker solution to delivering actual help for folks as opposed to kind of these long shot ideas. Because these long shot ideas are, they're not domain specific enough to be helpful. The only thing I would add is there's obviously a big um, access to justice problem in this country. And hopefully with time, that'll be discussed. You know, law school will be cheaper, what have you, many things to make that less of a gap. However, you know, there are kind of rules in place now, like people represent themselves pro se, or, you know, if you're giving unofficial legal advice or there's stuff on the internet, it's the disclosure and it's kind of the reminding someone that, yes, you're Googling this, but this is a real problem to you that could have a lot of implications. And I think that is just something that I one included as people develop these technologies and they're applied to kind of that gap is it is great. We should keep innovating in that space, but don't forget the basics of what this person is Googling could affect their life. And they might not realize if they do it incorrectly or if they're late on something, the repercussions of that. And we should have all the disclosures and all the basic things we're taught in law school, bar exam, you know, CLE, what have you embedded into everything. And that's something I don't want lost. Um, within the flash of all these new exciting things. It's like the basics matter, especially when it's people's lives. Can I, can I give you my long shot, uh, like vision for it, Greg? Like sure. my dream though is, yeah, I was, I was talking to another client like a, a few weeks ago and he, and I asked him like, why, why do you keep bugging me with your legal questions? No, I don't say that, but, uh, <laughs> I do ask him like, Hey, why, why'd you go with me? And he's like, oh, you're, you're really good at just like. I'd like to talk to you and it, you're kind of like my therapist. And I use that phrase a lot is like, oh, I'm just a business therapist, right? Like people call me, I most likely have their answer. But the reason why they call me is because I have their answer and can deliver in a way that makes them feel comfortable. I think everybody deserves that from a legal professional. And so the long shot, the dream, the vision is that 
we get away from the billable hour and fix that problem from the law firm standpoint so that the law firms can uh, employ their their and deploy their their legal resources in a way that can support the community and help with pro bono services. That's kind of a more, for me, a realistic uh, a dream and, and solution rather than than try to like solve everything with technology. I know it sounds weird coming from a tech company though. So. <laughs> I, I laugh because my Facebook reminder showed me that 14 years ago today, I posted uh, four articles about killing the billable hour. And <laughs> it's just as strong now, if not stronger than it was 14 years ago. But one of the things that I've kind of heard, and, and it could be pie in the sky uh, type uh, of uh, hope, hopefulness on this, is that Tools like this, and, and even tools like, like yours, uh, uh, Tony, would give us the ability to take back some of our time. And if we can take back some of our time using automation, automating things that, that should be automated, it's that same old argument, then we can make that transition away from charging for the billable hour and, and, and then have that ability to use whatever excess time we have now to, to do what you're saying, to build those relationships, to be that counsel, uh, to be that trusted counsel to people um, and, and not feel like they've got the anvil of the billable hour hanging their head in order to achieve that, you know, very valuable goal um, that, that we want to do. So, you know, I, I think we're not there yet. Um, I think we're probably going to fall down before <laughs> and, and look really bad before we can figure out ways to, to actually use tools to help us take back our, our time in, in a valuable way, such as uh, you know, in, in order to um, realign our values away from, from the billable hour. So what do you think, I mean, tools, tools like yours are, are, is, is that kind of the goal that, that you have on that? And how, how should law firms be looking at technology as it comes out and is, is trustworthy and using the tools in an effective way? Yeah. So um, uh, two fronts. One, I, I think I've done, I've talked to a lot of law firms in the abstract, right? Talk to them as, a, as an entity. And from our from our experience it's not worked right and you know when we took a step back and did the the postmortem on it and we realized yeah the reason why it doesn't work is when you say firm it's this like amorphous like very large ship that you think is all rowing in one direction and it's not right it's it's a lot of sub cells of people we're just trying to make their day-to-day -day work and they're all doing different things all at different times all in their own way and so when we stopped looking at the firms as like large ships and we started thinking about them as fleets, right? And so, you know, you've got different battalions in different spots and they, they have a different way that they like to operate. We've gotten more surgical with it. And so when I talk to the firms, I tell them, hey, like, don't tell me what you think the firm needs. Tell me what you think one group needs, one group at a time, right? And we solve it one group at a time. And you know who's who's the squeakiest wheel because they're they're most likely going to adopt the tech if they're complaining to you the most. And if they're complaining to you the most, you're 
your, your staff and personnel are probably annoyed by it. And so maybe we can solve that problem. And so we go in there first. Uh, I see you nodding your head. Yeah, that's, it's, 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 it's most likely those groups. So my recommendation is finding the incremental improvements and building on those. And, and Greg, the reason why, like just Greg and Marlene, right? The reason why like I'm jaded by some of these things is I've seen it in the engineering field. Where we are today in 2023 is where we were 15 years ago. I kid you not. Like from a technological perspective, we haven't improved that much. From a programmer and the engineer's perspective, we reinvented the wheel like two or three times. And then we've gotten back to this point. And then everyone's just like, oh, it's all cool and new. And I'm like, dude, this was here 15 years ago. It's remarkable that people have such short-term memories. And to your point, like we've been talking about billing innovation for three decades now, right? It's no longer innovation. It's now like, this is, this is just, it, it's, a, it's a broken record at this point. I, I don't think that there is a clear cut answer to the billable hour. I think that from a customer perspective, like consumers of out, outside counsel and from you know the law firm billable hour, we find it all very funny that folks bill by the hour because we actually just, you know, I ran an in-house team. Like we paid what we thought was fair and what we agreed to with folks. I never really thought about the billable hour unless it was a, a second tier uh, law firm that was promising me value on the cost side versus quality. But at the top tier firms like Mayor Brown or Jackson, like those relationships that you built with clients as their business therapists and consultants, like that, that doesn't get measured by, by, they gets measured in part by the billable hour, but the real performance is your output and what they feel they got in terms of value out of you. And so I, I don't, think that that's a technological solution. That one, that one's just a realization on the business side. And we're seeing, by the way, just to be clear, like our clients, our law firms that our clients are starting to move in that direction. We have plenty of clients that are billing flat rate for, for, for matters and using our tech to help uh, deliver that value chain and, and, and increase the quality of life for their, for their people. And so there's like, there's like 50 different factors that come into play. But, uh, and I didn't answer your question directly, but, uh, cause I rambled for too long, but, um, yeah, I would say when we looked at firms, like we stopped thinking about them as these ginormous en entities and we started looking more at the individual and tools like these, like ChatGPT that can empower the individual definitely will help it, And it'll just help inspire them to want to improve their process. And it might not be ChatGPT. That's the thing that excites me the yeah. most about this tech is it gets people inspired and they're like, dude, this can actually help. And then they realize the limitation. They're like, you know what? Maybe I can do better about setting up a system and being more organized about how I reuse these forms or these data. Now we're seeing clients come to us with a whole action plan. That's, by the way, brings me so much joy. Also removes a lot of headache when clients come to us and they said, we've seen this tech, this tech, this tech. This is what we want you to do here, here, and here. Can you do this, this, and this? That's beautiful. Like three years ago, <laughs> folks were coming in and be like, I have no idea what we're doing. Uh, can you just automate all of it? Um, which is just an, you know, unrealistic approach. Well, I, I think our whole audience was shocked when you said uh, big law firms are not smooth sailing vessels. I, I, I was stunned. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? There, is, there are many folks in law firms that think that way. And it surprised me because once they get to the partnership, they're like, 
oh, what? This this isn't what? <laughs> this isn't what I signed up for. You guys promised where, me. Where did this come like, from? No, no, no. <laughs> this is yeah, it's just in their mess. microcosm, and then all of a sudden they see the bigger picture. It's like, oh, <laughs> that's a <Yeah>. shocker. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, I mean, my my final point with it is like, despite my negativity, I'm very excited by the tech because, like what I said before, it inspires people to want to improve, and that's better marketing and and a use of time and resources for everyone, right? Like, if you if you can inspire people to get better, I'm cool with that, or and want to build better solutions that makes brings me a lot of joy like what i what i worry about and what i want to warn people of is like if it sounds too good to be true it probably, it probably is. is and so like guys come on like get excited but at the same time like just temper your expectations around what it can can and can't do it's just it's trying to be the adult in the room <laughs> I gotta say, just like your parents taught us, you know, just yep. like our parents taught us. Yeah, yeah, I was terrible at that. Just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Tony Ty and Ashley Carlisle from Hyperdraft AI, I want to thank both of you coming in and having this roundtable discussion. This is this has been great. Um, I'm probably still okay. drinking a little bit of the Kool Aid, but I'm I'm much more self aware now. Yes. Thanks for having us. Thanks it was so a great much. Conversation. Thank you. Super fun. So thanks to everyone for taking the time to listen to the Geek and Review podcast. If you enjoyed the show, share it with a colleague. We'd love to hear from you, so reach out to us on social media. I can be found at M on Twitter. And I can be reached at Glambert on Twitter. Uh, Tony, where, where can they find you? Ashley, what, where, where can they find us? You can follow us at Hyperdraft. <laughs> yes, you can follow us at Hyperdraft Inc. on all social media. We especially love LinkedIn. You can find Tony um, at Tony Ty. He's also linked on our Twitter account at Hyperdrafting. And you can check out our website, hyperdraft.ai. If you have any comments about the podcast, you can leave us a voicemail on our Geek and Review hotline at 713-487-7821. And as always, the music you hear is from Jerry David DeSicca. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. All right, Marlene, Tony, Ashley, see you guys later. Okay, okay. bye-bye. <laughs>